Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win an Advocacy Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to fight for what you believe in, but how to win. I'm Martin Diego Garcia. And I'm Joe Fold. You can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to Episode 7 of How to Win an Advocacy Campaign. On the last episode, we had a conversation with Rose Espinola about advocacy targeting and metrics. So be sure to check out that episode if you haven't already. Yep. And today we're going to dive into the purpose of forming or joining an advocacy coalition, uh, how to build one that works for your goals, what steps you should take to make sure that your coalition runs as smoothly and as effectively as possible, and to navigate some of those complexities that uh, and benefits that come from participating in a coalition with allied organizations. But so, Joe, for folks who haven't joined an advocacy coalition uh, who are listening in, can you give us a little bit of a definition of what is an advocacy coalition? So, Martine, growing up, did you ever play the game Risk? I did. We still play it, and we played it during quarantine so many times. (laughs) So you want to think about your alliances in Risk, right? Like you're going to have different people that you're playing Risk with, and it might be for a few turns. You know, most of the time with advocacy, you get along with them, but for a few turns, you're, you know, you have an alliance and you're with someone, and then occasionally you might not be with them. Well, you know, sort of coalition politics can be that sort of game of life where you're with someone on one issue and not with someone on another issue. And the idea is to find those non-traditional allies, not just the people you're always with, but some people who can help you on a very specific issue that you expand your reach. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about coalitions. So you want to think of a broad range of issues and missions, perspectives. You want people who bring different assets to the tables, who represent different constituencies, and you want to think about their relationships that they have with other people and your relationships with them to work collaboratively together for a common goal. Now, again, as I've said, right, like the game Risk doesn't have to be permanent. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. But what you find is that the more organizations can work together, the better they can be as opposed to being separate Together as a whole, they can form real partnerships and engagement to make real lasting change. Definitely. And I think they're, they come with a number of benefits. So whether you're an organization with long-term coalition partners or you're a, an advocacy campaign and you're, you're running a specific campaign um, that has a start and an end date, building a coalition helps you to increase your impact, right? So you as a singular organization or campaign can only do so much. So bringing in allies, friends, et cetera, to, to do additional work uh, to achieve your goal, right, is only going to increase your impact. Um, it also helps to spread out the work. Joe talked about what uh, different organizations bringing different assets, right? And so if you are a field organization and somebody who doesn't do, say, traditional comms with press and media, right, and you don't have that experience, you're probably going to want to uh, bring in a coalition partner who has a really strong media press uh, strategy and relationships, right? So they can pair that with your field expertise um, and bring in a different asset. So again, increasing impact. They also help you reach 
more people, right? So a lot of these groups and organizations may have a specific constituency or group um, in whom they have already spent a ton of time building trust and relationship with. And so and it may be a constituency or a group or a community that you haven't. And so thinking about those as well. Yeah. And what you're going to find is that especially we talked about in a previous episode with Rose Espinola about advocacy targeting, some groups might have a better connection with a legislator than others. Some might have a closer relationship with specific constituency groups that you might not. And so together, these different pieces make up an advocacy coalition and it can be super important and powerful when it works right. When you can pull resources, right? So you can figure out whether it's funding or list sharing or list building or resources to buying TV ads or communication mediums, right? You can also pull those resources together. So in, in addition to helping you reach more people, spreading the workout, right? Like you can also bring in additional resources. But um, so Joe, what should listeners know to help them build the right coalition? Well, first, it's really understanding goals, right? Knowing the goals for the coalition and what are you trying to do? You want to also think about the coalition you want versus the coalition you have. You might start with a group of like-minded constituencies that have been working together for a really long time. That's the coalition that you have. But the coalition you want might be these non-traditional allies that you haven't engaged with before, but can make a real difference, give your issue that extra push that you haven't done outreach with in the past. So it can be really powerful. And then you also want to think about, do you have all your bases covered? field, comms, funding, etc. Some of these other allies in the coalition might not have people, but they might have money. You might have field and they don't, right? They might have relationships with reporters that you don't. So thinking about what is that extra thing that they bring to help you get where you need to go, that is super important. Definitely. And I really like, I think this goes back, and I think we say this in almost every episode, to power mapping, right? If you utilize that tool, it is super helpful in answering a lot of these questions because as you as you build out, right, the decision makers, you've built out that six-person, seven-person city council, you've targeted down and you've thought about here are the two or three folks that I'm really going to hone in my efforts with. And then you start mapping out who are the organizations, the groups, the community leaders who have influence of those folks and who are the folks in opposition who are who are in their ear and who are the folks who are in your supporters or your allies who are in their ears. And then visually just looking at the map to say, well, do they have the business community on their end and we don't have the business community on our end? That may mean there's a gap in Ural's coalition and you need to figure out how to find some business owners who can talk on your issue, right? And so thinking about utilizing that power map, uh, again, for doing your coalition building can also be super, super helpful. Yeah, I thought we were just going to talk about the game risk when you were talking about power mapping, but it really is. It's like, how are you going to create that allegiance that gets you to Kamchatka, right? And that's the point, right? That is the whole point of this game, right? Afterwards, you and I are going to play a virtual game of Risk Martine. Uh, I'm totally down for that game, Joe. But as you're thinking about building your coalitions, right, and thinking particularly about um, you, you've noticed that there are uh, holes or gaps in your coalition that you need to fill, 
start with the people you know, right? Go through your your phone, your Facebook contacts, your other things, right? To figure out who do you know in the Latino community? Who do you know on college campuses? Who do you know um, at uh, who works with uh, the senior folks in your community, right? And think about how can they introduce you to those folks or who do your allies have uh, relationships with and how can you incorporate them into your coalition? So think about how do you sort of do that couple degrees of separation uh, map to get you in communication and in contact with those folks who maybe this is the first time you're you're working with them, but could be a long-term coalition partner for campaigns to come in the future. And we're back, and I am super excited to be joined by a dear friend of mine and of the campaign workshops, Hannah Willard. Um, She is the Senior Director of Campaigns at Freedom for All Americans, which is a bipartisan LGBTQ advocacy organization fighting to secure full non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ folks across the country. Um, And we just had a huge win um, for employment non-discrimination recently, which is fantastic. Um, At Freedom for All Americans, Hannah focuses on legislative advocacy um, and builds partnerships with state-based LGBTQ advocacy organizations to form winning coalitions, which is why we have her on the show today. Previously, she helped lead the fight for marriage equality in the state of Florida with Equality Florida. Welcome, Hannah, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Martine. I'm really excited to be here and to get an opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, and for the listeners who have either joined one of our advocacy trainings, Hannah actually comes in to train wherever we are, whether in person or virtually, um, and give us her expertise in the training space as we do our advocacy trainings. But wanted to start off, Hannah, a little bit about sort of your background. And we asked this to many of our guests, but what really made you get into this crazy world of advocacy? It's a great question. I think a lot of us uh, wonder how we got here when we are in the advocacy space. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I always knew that I wanted to have a career helping people. You know, I was a five, little five-year-old with this vision of of uh, a life of helping people and doing good, and um, and that was super vague. And it took shape over time. And I think that for me, as a queer woman. When I uh, started learning about our history as an LGBTQ movement when I was in college and really opening my eyes to the, the history of how social change happens, a real critical part of that is legislative advocacy, is meeting with the folks in charge and connecting with them on an emotional level and encouraging them to vote the right way and to move our society forward. So it was pretty immediate when I started um, understanding the power of legislative advocacy that I knew that that's what I wanted to be part of. Yeah, totally. I mean, same for me in terms of the more you knew and the more you realized both who you are and sort of how the country perceives those folks, you're like, well, that's wrong. So we have to figure out how to fix that. (laughs) And so you jump into this kind of work and then 10, 12, 15 years later, we're still here, right? (laughs) Still here, still queer. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as listeners are considering building a coalition, what are some first steps they should be taking as they are starting to build those? Yeah, well, it's a good question because, you know, sometimes the easy answer is a bit of a joke, which is yesterday. You should start building your coalition (laughs) yesterday. If you've got a big goal, we know that uh, what we've really seen is that, of course, building coalitions takes time. 
coalitions are built on trust. They're built on relationships. And so those relationships uh, can't be constructed overnight. They really do take a lot of long, hard conversations to build the kind of rapport you need in order for a coalition to really have the kind of impact you want it to have. So I think that the first couple steps I would recommend really are about having those deep relationships, but also deep conversations with the folks that you want to enter into coalition with. So one of the things that is helpful to think about when building a coalition is uh, something we call power mapping sometimes. And so sometimes you can do that by thinking, uh, who are some of the folks that are closest to me in my network? Who are some of the folks that I work with most often? And then also perhaps considering some uh, organizations and partners that are uh, outside of your network that you still want to be able to build towards. So for example, when I was at Equality Florida, one of the coalitions that we were part of was the Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence. So when I was the policy director at Equality Florida uh, during the Pulse Massacre, so in Orlando, there was a mass shooting targeting LGBTQ people, Latinx people primarily, actually. Um, and it sparked a ton of calls for legislative action on gun policy reform. Equality Florida hadn't been very active in the gun policy space at all. So it became clear that there was a need for a coalition effort. And the League of Women Voters actually uh, spearheaded that coalition. There were groups like the PTA on that coalition. There were groups like the Interfaith Council on that coalition. Certainly groups like Equality Florida. There were groups like Q Latinx, which was working with the Latinx community and queer folks at that intersection. And then also, of course, the, the groups that had been doing gun policy work forever and ever and ever and were really the experts, like every town, like Brady. So that coalition came together in a way that was out of crisis, out of pain, out of a, an emergency, but it still fit that similar formula to thinking about who are my buddies, who are my friends that I work with all the time, who are those folks that I know I can work with really effectively, and then who are those groups that are maybe at the fringes of my networks that I see as a real critical part of the equation, how do I get to them? We uh, we love power mapping at Campaign Workshop, and we do it as part of our advocacy training. And it is that idea, right? It's that idea of we hold so many identities, right? And they all intersect at very different places. And that pulse shooting was something that brought all of these folks together who may or may not have been such vocal leaders on an uh, issue like gun reform. Yeah. And I think that um, speaking to that point about it being really born out of crisis it necessitated that we think strategically and think quickly about who needed to be at the table. And so that is not always the case when building a coalition. It was in that moment, but some of the coalitions I've been involved with more recently are actually much more intentional and calculated because they're built over the longer term. In Virginia, we just were part of a coalition called the Virginia Values Coalition, which was exactly that. It was born out of a need to create a long-term strategy for passing comprehensive protections for LGBT people in employment, in housing, in public spaces. So because we had the, the gift, really, of foresight, we were able to not only think about our friends, but also thinking about, all right, if we're trying to get to lawmakers, we're trying to communicate to lawmakers that these protections are common sense 
that they're urgently needed, that they enjoy broad support. We also need to bring people to the table that are going to surprise those lawmakers, that those lawmakers are going to go, wait a minute, all these pastors support these protections? I wouldn't have thought that. Wait, so you're telling me all these teachers and educators support these protections? Wow, that's really significant. We brought small businesses to the table. We brought, um, you know, environmental groups to the table also, like, you know, broad, very seemingly disparate groups. Because the beauty of building a coalition is sometimes that by very the very virtue of having a list of members, you're telling a story about who cares about this issue, about who wants to see this bill pass. And I mean, that goes back to what you said earlier, right, about relationships and whether the coalition is born, born out of a crisis or a current moment, right, or it's been sort of built intentionally over a long period of time. It really goes back to those relationships that you are building constantly. But it also goes to like being very specific about what your goal is. Could you talk a little bit about goals that you have had in some of these instances and examples that you've given and what, what our listeners should be thinking about as they're determining what goals their coalition should be striving towards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the goals that I think is really critical to think about on the front end is uh, has to do with time. So is this coalition going to live in perpetuity? Or is this coalition going to exist for one very particular legislative goal or to elect a candidate or to pass a local ordinance? So that's going to be quite different in terms of the structure you're going to create, right? So if you want to build a coalition that exists in perpetuity forever and ever, amen, that's going to be quite different than something that's just trying to pass one piece of legislation. The reason why that time question can be so important is because it's going to speak to the level of urgency that these folks have to be part of the coalition. You're not going to have to sell a potential coalition partner as much on joining if it's like a real urgent pressing need and it's a, you know, this, this coalition is going to accomplish its goal, it's going to shut down. It's not going to be a huge time investment. If you're asking a, an organization to be part of a coalition in perpetuity, right, forever, that might be something that they need to think a bit more about because that might that longer term commitment just, you know, it, it generates different questions and concerns. So that's one thing to think about in terms of a goal. I also think another goal that's really critical when putting together a coalition is to have a real clear sense of shared vision and values about what all of these partners are agreeing to and what all of these partners really understand as the heart of the coalition. What's the heart? What's the, what's the ethos? We all want to achieve world peace, but what is the role of this coalition in that process? And being really specific about never compromising what matters, but also not imagining that one coalition is ever going to solve everything. So there's really that tension. And I think a lot of the coalitions I've been part of have, have navigated that very tension of uh, being broad enough to do justice and to do right by our community that we seek to serve, but also not imagining that we can uh, focus on everything, accomplish everything. You also need to think like, what are the actual tactics and tools that we are going to be implementing? And do we have people within the coalition who are going to be boots on the ground, who are going to do communication, who are going to do the legislative piece, who are going to do the direct action piece, right? What are the tools and tactics you're going to be doing? And you make sure that folks understand their lane in those pieces as well. I love that. Right. In terms of delegation, what uh, tips and tricks of how to like be good delegators of the work to coalition members? Well, you just really 
unlocked a whole nother layer of coalition management in terms of what you were saying about lanes, because you're right, there's lanes of individual coalitions, and then there's roles within a coalition of different organizational partners saying, this is what I'm good at. This is what you can count me in for. This is what I bring to the table. And a fabulous tool for that is something we call an MOU. So an MOU is a memorandum of understanding. Too many syllables, so we call them MOUs. This can really be seen as like a a guiding document for coalition structure. So oftentimes the MOU is where you're going to see the goal written down. It's where you're going to see each organizational partner really listed out and their very technical contribution named and delineated. Sometimes in coalitions, there are financial contributions that each organizational partner makes. And so you're going to want to see that. In this MOU, you're going to want to see that there's a real record of the contribution that these orgs have made. You also can see those hard lines, those deal breakers. What will we accept? What will we not? Sometimes you also can see a budget in an MOU, right? So you're agreeing upon this idea of which staff you're going to hire and what assets you need to bring in. A real critical part of an MOU, I think, is making sure that we're accounting for those different contributions that every partner makes and creating space for there to be different assets that each organization brings. So when we've done some of these campaigns at Freedom for All Americans, we really value the role of a local partner, an on-the-ground partner that is embedded into the community, that has the trust of the local community, right? It is really important to create a leadership structure of a coalition that accurately represents the community that you're trying to serve while also balancing the fact that different groups are contributing different things. So if you've got a buy-in for a coalition, you've got a, you've got a dollar value that every organization has to contribute $50,000 to be part of this MOU and, and therefore part of really the decision-making body of this coalition. Well, that's going to totally exclude a local grassroots organization that perhaps In our case, it's the organization that runs the transgender support groups across the state. So really working with trans folks across the state that are seeking services, that are the folks that are most likely to experience discrimination, and who are therefore going to benefit the most from these non-discrimination laws. And if we're creating barriers to access for the very folks who are going to be most impacted, so instead, what if this a smaller grassroots organization contributes their list, their email list. Talk about an asset, right? These are folks that not only do you want to be communicating with, but you want to be capturing their stories. These are exactly the types of folks we want legislators to be meeting with. I want to help these folks write letters to the editor and be talking to, you know, uh, the press in terms of, you know, writing op-eds. And so if we can rethink a contribution we can make sure that the right organizations are making the decisions, are leading the coalition, and that we're not creating arbitrary access or arbitrary barriers to access, rather, um, by you know requiring some ridiculous financial contribution. Super helpful, super helpful. Um, any last parting words of wisdom or advice to our listeners as they are thinking about their coalition building? You know, I did just have one other thought. I'm glad you asked. Because I do think that we, one of the things I wanted to talk about when we were talking about roles within the coalition is that um, I think sometimes we can, we can try to get a little too heavy handed with our coalition members 
And we can imagine that uh, all of us are going to be so on message. We're all going to be so coordinated. We're all going to be totally in alignment all the time. And a way to avoid conflict is to expect that there will be. I think that's a, a real healthy expectation to have, to expect that there will be those obstacles and that conflict. And sometimes it can take the pressure off to be so coordinated and aligned when there's just free communication about which individual partner is going to say what, which individual member organization is going to do what. If you've got a um, you know a real breaking crisis and you've got two different organizational partners that want to say very different things in response to it, okay, you should respond on your own, under your own organizational brand and your own organizational logo. Members of a coalition can absolutely have different voices, different responses to things that are still really important to the coalition as a whole, but just being really clear and open about that. Well, thank you, Hannah, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, To find out more about Hannah and the work that she's doing at Freedom for All Americans, check out the link in the description where you'll find out some helpful resources that'll tell you even more about securing freedom for all Americans. Thanks so much, and we'll be right back. back. So one of the favorite things that I learned from uh, the segment with Hannah is about setting goals for your coalitions. You really want to make sure you have a goal for joining the coalition. And frankly, that everyone who joins the coalition has a goal so they know and you know what we're all getting out of it. One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is people join a coalition and then halfway through the coalition or halfway through a meeting, they're like, why am I actually here? So you really want to have these conversations about specific goals early, and they shouldn't be too broad or narrow. They should be specific. What is each person, what is each coalition member getting out of the coalition and make sure it's clear? Do it on a Zoom call, write it down on a doc, keep track of it. It is the best way to keep your coalition on track and to make sure you're keeping that conversation focused on what are the goals. And then you want to keep that conversation, that communication concise and focused. The other thing that I think is really important, and Martine, I'd love for you to speak to this, is talk about power mapping and how do you do that as a coalition? Definitely. So power mapping is a super helpful tool, not only for you as an individual organization or individual campaign, right, but but something that can help you bring your coalition and make sure that everybody's on the same page. So when you do this practice from the beginning of the campaign or the beginning of the coalition, right, it really helps to get buy-in and consensus on what are the actual goals and does everybody have the same ones? Are we all working toward the same goals and no, and people aren't sort of do it going off in their own directions, right? Are we targeting the same individuals, right? Or the ones that we have the most closest relationships to? Is everybody working off the same strategy? Because very often in coalitions, and you will know this, right? And, and Hannah mentioned this too, is every group and organization is going to come in with a personal interest, right? They're going to want their topic, their issue, their constituency to be front and center on the work that you're doing. And so by doing this power mapping at the beginning of their coalition, you'll really get a consensus from folks to be an, an agreement on here is the goal, here are our targets, here's the strategy, and here are the tactics that we are going to be utilizing so that later on in the campaign, they can't come back and try and sort of go rogue on you. <laughs> totally. 
I mean, I, I think it's really important to lay that out ahead of time. And again, uh, Hannah talks about the idea of an MOU. I think that memorandum of understanding of what are what is Group A going to do versus Group B? How are you going to communicate? Getting that all that in writing doesn't have to be a big detailed doc, but doing that can be really helpful and important. Definitely. It also gives you an opportunity to bring in local grassroots organizations right into the coalition uh, and really change the barriers that traditionally have been put up for joining, right? Very often the coalition comes together and they're saying, we're going to put X amount of resources, revenue dollars to allow us to be part of this coalition. Or the person with the most money has the decision-making, the final say in a coalition, right? Where in an MOU, you can change that to say, these grassroots organizations bring in value through relationships through community organizing, through the trust that they've already built, they are the most effective messenger to our communities, right? And so how do you sort of even out the decision-making, the power um, in these coalitions by utilizing uh, an MOU? Uh, And and the other thing to remember that that Hannah mentioned, right, is that coalitions have been flow, right? So whether you're working on a campaign that is taking much longer than expected, right? Or a piece of legislation that is going through committee and, and hasn't gone to a floor vote yet, right? Or whatever it may be, there are going to be times when there's a lot of uh, action to be taken and there's going to be times where it's a little slow. And so being flexible with those curveballs and those obstacles will really help you uh, keep your coalition together um, through communication so that when those times of action happen, that they're ready to move. Totally. Yeah. And so, Joe, what are some ways that organizations can maintain uh, that independence and individuality within the broader campaigns? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is communicate, right? You want to communicate with the coalition to say, here are the things that we're doing. So there's no surprises. The worst thing that can happen in a coalition is you wake up and there's a press release from someone in the coalition that you didn't know about. You're like, why are they talking about this issue? So be transparent, say, here are the things that we're doing, lay that out from the beginning. You can have your own communications. You can have your own digital campaign or direct mail or TV or whatever you're doing. You can own your own list building and do that. Just communicate and make sure there are no surprises. So if you let people know ahead of time, everyone's all good. The biggest conflict when it comes to coalitions is people doing their own thing and not telling people about it. Tell people about it. Let them know you're in a coalition together. That's the best part of it because then you can be like, I'm doing this. Maybe you should be doing that, right? It's like, I bring the chocolate. You bring the peanut butter. You want to make sure it goes great together. But you're not going to know that unless you can communicate. Think of it as a gigantic potluck, right? Socially distant. We're not doing that anymore, but maybe you can send potluck stuff to people in the mail. Anyway, you know the analogy. But in pre-COVID times, we used to have these things called potlucks where we would show up and we'd all bring food (laughs) and people would share. And you'd sign up on a sign-up sheet saying, I'm bringing the pot roast. I'm bringing the vegan mashed potatoes. Whatever you're bringing, you want to make sure you put that all together and it makes a complete package. And that's the goal of a coalition. I miss potlucks. I know. I miss them too. You got a favorite potluck food, Martine, that you would want? Mac and cheese. Mac Mac and and cheese. cheese Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I would say, right, like probably, I I don't know, like what would be the, what would be a cool thing that I, I dessert at the potluck is probably my favorite part. So I probably would be bringing a homemade apple pie. 
Ooh, all right. Th- that's what I would bring to the potluck. So, so the point is, be the dessert of your coalition, right? Or the mac and cheese, right? Whichever. Like, no one, no one will miss out on the mac and cheese. But that's the point, right? Choose what you're going to do. I might be really great at pie. Martine really good at mac and cheese. Doesn't really matter. You want to work with what you're good at and let people know what you're doing. That's the whole point. I think we have killed this analogy. Love it. Anyway, so you also want to think about, we'll talk about primary and secondary goals. So like main course versus dessert, there we go, still going on, but that is really important. And you want to make sure that that applies to the coalition. What is the primary goal? What is the secondary goal? And that you're all able to work nicely together. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening in. If you have specific questions or comments about advocacy coalitions, contact us using the social media and email addresses in the description below. You can also send us your mac and cheese recipe. Please do. Uh, on our next episode, we'll be talking to Eric Sanchez about how to improve your advocacy campaign's communications. So be sure to tune into our next episode. Until next time, this is Joe Fold and Martin Diego Garcia breaking down how to win an advocacy campaign. How to Win an Advocacy Campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Hope Rohrbach, Daniel Lamb, Heidi Job, and Elena Veach. Music by Mike Pinto, sound editing by the Global Startup Movement. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Remember to review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.